From a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Stephen Takis has lectured at The Ohio State University on photography and is a member of OSU's STEAM Factory, Ohio State's interdisciplinary collection of scholars working to find common grounds in arts and STEM initiatives. His February 19th through March 19th display at the Columbus Cultural Arts Center is titled Traveling Picture Show and covers his journeys around the U.S. with a large format camera documenting the intersection of photography and tourism. His current show at the Ohio State University Faculty Club exhibits his travels in 2010 photographing the changes in the photography business with the digital transition. Welcome to Craft, Stephen Takis. Thanks, Doug. Pleasure to be here. Well, uh, let's start with your current show at the Faculty Club Lounge. Um, That one you were using Kodachrome-based film as it was in its last stages of slowly going away, right? Mm -hmm. And you went around uh, photographing people in the photography business as um, maybe it dried up for some of them. Maybe it changed for some of them. Sounds almost like a a United States misery tour. (laughs) Tell me about that experience. It isn't necessarily the most uh, uplifting series, but yeah, in 2009, uh, Kodak discontinued Kodachrome film after 70 plus years. And in 2010, there was one processor left in the entire world um, that was able to process that film, uh, which was called uh, Dwayne's Photo. It's located in Parsons, Kansas. Okay. So in early 2010, I'd been gifted um, 20, 30 rolls of film, and I had about eight months to do something with them before I wouldn't be able to process them. And so I began thinking about changes in the photographic industry um, and the film disappearing so I began uh, photographing at uh, camera repair shops, film processors, um, and other photographic retailers. Um, I started while I was living in Portland, Oregon, and when I moved uh, back here to Ohio, I continued the project. And then in the very end of 2010, I ended up driving to Parsons, Kansas, uh, to Duane's to photograph in the final days they were uh, accepting film. Mm-hmm. So what was the reaction, uh, say, when you went there and you said, can I come take pictures of you in the final days of working with this kind of film? Was it, sure, come on down, watch our death knell? Or what was it like? They were fairly accommodating. They were okay. actually really kind. Um, and it wasn't, uh, Dwayne's is actually still in business. Right. Uh, they just stopped running the processor. Um, so it wasn't, uh, you know, watch our business just spiral into nothing, <laughs> thankfully. Um and uh, yeah, it was it was a weird feeling there. You know, there was kind of uh, you know, there was ex- acknowledgement of something uh, being lost, uh, but there was also a strange sort of excitement in the air. I was not the only person that showed up. The New York Times had been there the day before. Um, the photo- photographer Alex Soth, uh, who's uh, pretty established in the art world as well as the photojournalism world. Um, he was there. There was a group of Belgian filmmakers that had shown up. It was kind of a strange uh, little um, meetup of photo nerds from all across the world. Did you get to talk to them and say, you know, what is it that you'll miss the most about Kodachrome? Uh, did you talk to the other folks that you got a chance to meet there? A little bit. Um, you know, for some people, uh, there was like some an older photojournalist that had showed up who had, you know, kind of grown up shooting that stuff, the, the shooting Kodachrome. Um, and he was, you know, 
sad about that. And, you know, there's certain vibrancy and, and look to Kodachrome uh, that, you know, we've all sort of seen. We may not always know know it uh, when we see it. Um, but, you know, s- having that go away, I think, mm-hmm. is kind of a loss. You also do a lot of digital photography. Yeah. Do yeah. you Have you gone into digital photography and said, I'm going to make something that looks like Kodachrome. I'm going to create a filter and uh, experimented with that to say, see how closely you can mimic something like the uh, Kodachrome film stock? Uh, I have not, no. Okay. Um, I'm sure there's, there's other people out there who are doing that. Okay. Um, for me, I'm really interested in photographic process, and um, you know, every material has its sort of own aesthetic to it, mm-hmm. and I like to use that um, okay. rather so than replicate it. Right, okay. Now, you used a large format camera for the Kodachrome, right? Oh, you just a regular 35 millimeter? Yeah, it was just an old Nikon camera. It was actually, uh, I had two different Nikons I was using. One was like the first like real SLR that I'd ever bought. Okay. So what was that experience like, say, versus the digital cameras that you've got now, the aesthetic of it, not the process of it? But did you feel differently shooting it when you knew in the back of your mind, I'm shooting toward the end of every role I'm ever going to have? Yeah, there's this certain, um, I don't know, um, feeling of value to it. You know, you're mm-hmm. um, you're kind of making images on an antique, uh, so to speak. Okay. Um, How did you know? You know, it reminds me of the uh, Seinfeld episodes where, um, do you remember the Seinfeld episode with Spongeworthy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Without getting into that. Um was there a was there a feeling like that? Like I I need to find only certain things that are worthy of having their picture taken by this final s- series of um, roles that I've got. Was that hard for you? Yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, there, I I kind of felt like I needed to limit myself to the kind of general concept of the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I had a finite amount of film to work with. Um, I believe I did, like, at least when I went to Kansas, I carried some other cameras with me that weren't shooting Kodachrome, so I could shoot some other stuff on the side. But definitely as I you know, went out to different locations um, in the course of the project, um, I was, you know, fairly selective. Yeah. I wasn't just, you know, making happy snaps uh, wherever <laughs> I went. Um on Kodachrome. What was your last picture on Kodachrome? The last one you took, and uh, then you heard the little "urt" that says that's the end of that roll. That's a good question. I'm not entirely certain. There's two images. I, I, I I'm not 100 certain which one was the last. Um, I photographed a. Like <clears throat> the very final day that they were taking film in, um, they had bought a cake for their staff that said goodbye Kodachrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I photographed that a bit uh, before, uh, as I was finishing out my roles. Um, and it's actually the image I ended up using on like the promotional postcard for the faculty club show. Okay. Um, that may have been the last one. Okay. Um, or. I, it's hard to keep the sequence straight in my head. This was uh, like five years ago, mind you. Right. Um, I have some 
a picture I'd taken of rolls of film on the count Dwayne's photo uh, counter as I was turning them in. I don't know if those were the that was like the f- if I was if I shot that and then wound the film and handed it to him, or if I shot more and then turned in more. Okay. Film later. Okay. Sorry, when that was not the greatest uh, answer because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. When you look back on it now, what do you feel about the project? I mean, um, there's always that sort of sense of sadness, or I think when you're done with the project, or a sense of relief when you're done with the project. What's your emotional reaction to the project now? Um. Well, I have to say it feels really good to finally show this uh, project in its entirety. Um, I've shown some pieces uh, or some images here and there um, from that series, but, you know, finally kind of sharing that with the public uh, here at OSU uh, has been really uh, a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, change is sort of inherent to photography. You know, it's... Uh, technological change is uh, inherently linked uh, to the media. You know, one sort of, uh, I don't know, era of photography is always ushered in um, by changes, like from the daguerreotype to the tintype um, to film-based processes. It's always uh, been part of the succession. Right. Um, and I don't know, I feel lucky that I was able to record this moment um, as uh, the Kodachrome era came to an end. Okay. How did the exhibit at the faculty club arise? I mean, is, that, is the faculty club a common place to have uh, exhibitions like that? or uh, Because I don't remember it happening before, I guess. But maybe I'm not in tune with the faculty club because I'm not a member. But how did that arise for you? Well, um, I through someone from the Steam Factory, I was inter- uh, introduced to Lisa Craig Morton, who's the curator of the faculty club, and um, we had a studio visit probably first two years ago and showed her some of my work and, um, you know, just began this dialogue about potentially showing uh, mm-hmm. a series there. Because um, they do uh, show um, regularly um, artwork there um, within the lounge area of the faculty club. Okay. What's unique about mine is this is actually the first photography exhibit that's ever been shown there. So it's usually painting or prints or yeah, a lot like of printmaking and uh, painting in particular. Okay, okay. Did you uh, get a picture of yourself in the faculty club, lording it over some fo- some painters and printmakers, anything like that, saying we've come of age, print is dead? Uh, not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Um, Tell me about your February 19th through March 19th uh, Columbus Cultural Arts Show, right? Uh, so this is uh, another thing that's that you've created all the images for. And in this one, uh, it's based on the brownie in motion idea, right? Yes. Okay. So tell me about that. Well, um, the brownie in motion project uh, started in uh, 2013. Um, it'd been an idea for several years before, but... Um, at that time, I was finally able to get some funding. I'd, um, I've done a number of camera building projects over the years, and you know, I've always been sort of enamored at the um, pro- image projected on the back of a large format camera. Um, mm-hmm. There's this vibrancy to it that's in some ways very similar to looking at a Kodachrome slide on a light box. Okay. And 
I wanted to create a piece that would allow people to sort of experience that, that viewing experience, um, but make it more immersive. So I concocted this idea to create um, a space uh, to basically create a camera obscura where people would be able to see a large projected image within um, a darkened space. Sure. Um, and that's, I think, uh, for those who might not be familiar with the term camera obscura, you have a pinhole in or uh, lens or lens um, uh, in in the front of a box, and it you get a image on the back side of the box that's upside down uh, that re- that is the light coming through. Uh, so basically, it, it's like a snapshot or or a, a photo. I'm not. Uh, it's a it's a light description of this scene happening in front of it. There's a better way of describing that. I like light description. That's kind of okay. cool. Um, I might start using that. Yeah, it's a light description. Oh, you must wear a. <laughs> but, uh, a, a beret when you use that <laughs> description but it's not a photograph because it is right. a, a sort of live feed if you will right um you know inside that room um so in 20 early 2013 i wrote up a proposal to ingenuity cleveland which is a uh, three-day art and music festival that happens in the cleveland waterfront um so i proposed to create this large camera that people could enter inside of uh, to have a viewing experience. Um, thankfully, they accepted the proposal. Um, and very thankfully um, to, to my colleagues at the Steam Factory, um, we were able to get some funding for the OSU Outreach and Engagement Grant. Um, and I was able to put some funding towards building the project. Okay. So it debuted in fall of 2013. And as an art installation rather than um, a working, uh, an image-making device. Um, after it was built, that became my challenge. I was like, oh, I really want to start making images with this. Okay. Um, so over time, I developed a whole system to either shoot onto large pieces of film uh, or direct positive photo paper. And now I've, I've gotten to the point where it's the camera, I can shoot images with the camera and also develop them inside. So it is a uh, art installation, a working camera, and a portable darkroom. Okay. So, so what's okay? So um, one last question: What's it made out of? Is this a big wooden box? I take it, or how does you how did you move it around? Um, what's the secret to having a? Um, I assume quite large, maybe six foot by six foot, or, or larger. Yeah, it's. Um, Five feet wide by eight and a half long, seven and a half tall. Okay. Um, when I constructed the project, uh, my challenge was how, yeah, how do I move this around? And how do I fit it into my Kia Sportage? <laughs> <laughs> the, the question so many photographers have asked before, how do I get my equipment into a Kia Sportage? Okay. So um, after a l- large series of models I made um, out of a variety of materials, I settled on more of a tent-like design. So the frame of the piece uh, is built out of aluminum pipe with sort of um, connections uh, that just uh, screw together with an Allen wrench. And then the whole skin of the project is actually this kind of heavy-duty marine-grade vinyl uh, that all uh, wraps around the frame and Velcro's in place. Okay. Um, I want to shout-out to my friend Brittany Lawson, uh, who was a was instrumental uh, in creating it? Uh, she did uh, all the sewing for me. Oh, okay, 
Cool. So tell me about the pictures that you've got that you've created out of this camera. I think maybe you've got some with you. And we can also reference some on the brownieinmotion.org site, which it took me um, twice reading it to get, oh, brownie in motion, the dust motes in air in front of light, right? Yeah, sort of. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, brownie in motion kind of deals with random movement of particles uh, in water. And, um, yeah, so it's sort of a tongue in cheek jokes for you physics people out there. (laughs) Um, with so many of them out there, those physics jokes. Okay. (laughs) So tell me about the images that you made out of these, uh, this random motion. Yeah. So, um, I've been photographing people, uh, who practice kind of rare and disappearing trades and crafts, um, uh, with the Brownie in motion camera, um, a kind of slew of people. I photographed blacksmiths, um, herbalists, um, woodworkers. Um, You know, in some ways, you know, this really relates uh, to the photo fissioning project or the Kodachrome project I was speaking about earlier. Um, I'm, you know, interested in technology and how, um, you know, digitalization has changed culture. You know, so often our um, experiences in the world are through screens rather than sort of, uh, you know, a physical presence. And so I wanted to photograph people who still work with their hands. Um, And just like the images I make with this camera are very much handmade. Um, It is still a photomechanical process, but I'm really very much involved in it. Um, I'm to shoot images with uh, this camera, I actually have to be physically inside of it. Um, I'm the shutter mechanism. Um, I'm the film advance. And <laughs> I'm also, you know, manually processing things. Uh, How big are the plates? Uh, what kind of, what size plates are you using? What size film? Uh, it varies. Um, I, a lot of images I was shooting uh, last summer were around like 24 by 30 inches. Um, that's, you know, a manageable size for developing on site. You know, I, it is possible to shoot larger, but developing them in situ, uh, at that scale becomes a huge logistical problem. It's well, already it, difficult it, enough. As yeah. As I say, isn't it also expensive to buy film that size? I mean, that's a big sheet of film. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of times what I'm using uh, is this direct positive paper um, that has gone in and out of production several mm-hmm. times in the last couple of years. It's this kind of wonderful product made by Ilford, um, kind of similar to what was used in an old photo booth that would, uh, you know, like when you shoot a picture and it's the strip comes out three minutes later, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's no negative. So you can shoot directly onto it, process it, and that's your final uh, okay. image. Okay. Um, Did I answer that question properly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just curious about how you keep funding going for something like this. I mean, what is it, uh, what I was really curious about is how much is it going to be per image, right? Have you broken it down like that and said, you know, every time I take an image on direct deposit, it costs me X for the 24 by 30, you said, and then Y for the chemicals. You add that up and say, wow, that's an expensive print. Sometimes it's better not to think about that. <laughs> okay, cool. So <laughs> I was, um, you know, I've been, I was fortunate enough, uh, 
the summer before last, I did a fundraiser um, through Indiegogo, and I was able to raise some money um, okay. to help uh, purchase some supplies. Um, you know, I also got some funding from this uh, outreach engagement grant that went towards uh, some of the materials for this project. Okay. But funding is a continual uh, thing I need to contend Question. with. When you have something that doesn't have negatives, like the direct deposit, how do you produce uh, prints after that? Do you end up taking another picture of that and then doing it off of that? Is that how you get the prints to, to say, show people, sell, that kind of stuff? Well, um the direct positives are generally just exist uh, as a singular image. I mean, they've been photographed, and that's you know what we're looking at on the computer screen mm-hmm. right now. Um, they exist in a digital format, but the physical print uh, is one of a kind. You know, just like a painting would be. Um, I do also shoot um, uh, onto uh, pieces of RC photo paper at times, uh, which. When you process that, uh, you get a negative image, uh, which then you can contact print and uh, duplicate. Okay. So some some have been reproduced, some have not uh, right. in an uh, analog format. Okay. Now, looking at uh, this one with herbalist Scott A. Houston outside his apartment in Asheville, North Carolina, I noticed that the background um, is quite blurry, like you're using a really short throw lens. Like I don't know if you have something like an f-stop for something like this, but is that um, an artifact of the lens, an artifact of the production? What gives the particular look to the image? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with the lens. Um, It also deals with the uh, distance I am to the subject Mm -hmm. and how large of an image I'm trying to make. Um, As I get closer to a subject, um, I have to, inside of the camera, move the focal plane even further. Um, And... Um, as you move close to an object, um, your depth of field always sort of decreases uh, mm-hmm. accordingly. Um, and particularly for doing people uh, with this camera, um, I generally open up my lens as much as possible just to reduce the amount of time that they're standing in front of, mm-hmm. uh, standing uh, for the portrait. Um, how long does it take to do a portrait? Uh, like how long do they have to stand still? Well, the exposure itself is generally between, you know, two and five seconds. Um, but, you know, the, all the setup beforehand, uh, that <laughs> there's, there's quite a bit of that. Right, yeah. So there's, there's quite a bit of waiting as I, uh, you know, compose the image um, inside the camera. And then I have to then put the lens cap on the camera and, uh, or the lens, excuse me, and load the paper uh, take the paper out of a black bag, load it onto a piece of board in the camera before I can take the exposure. So that, you know, there's a certain amount of fumbling in the dark that happens that kind of slows down the process right. a bit. How many uh, exposures do you take of any one person, like say the blacksmith? How many times did you have to take an image to get the kind that you wanted? Or do you, you're like, oh, one, that's good. It varies. Um, sometimes it's one and done. Other times you're, you know, shooting more. Um in some ways, it's like uh, shooting with the Kodachrome. There's a certain preciousness to the materials right. um, because of the expense, uh, as well as at different times. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get more um, mm-hmm. because they discontinued it. Um, so a lot of times, I'm you know I tried. I can only shoot so much. Right. Um, you know this picture of the blacksmith Adlai Stein that we're looking at. Um, I think. 
maybe I shot three, maybe four images. Um, a lot of times what I do now is I'll take uh, test shots with uh, the RC paper and make a negative. Sometimes I'll end up using that. Um, but then I use that to kind of judge my exposure. That's sort of a cheaper material. Um, and then I'll move on to the direct positive. Okay. So when you announced uh, the project to your friends who are photographers, mm-hmm. what was their reaction? Did they say, gee, that sounds really uh, interesting, and then they edge away from you? Or, <laughs> or did they say, you know, here, here are the things that you're going to have to really work on to make it work? Um, it varies. You know, uh, some people are have been really, uh, really kind of fascinated by the project, uh, taken by it. Um, I think... I know I'm not the only uh, person uh, now who shoots digitally and uh, sort of misses that, you know, tactile quality of working in the dark room. I think mm-hmm. particularly uh, photographers who have been around for a while, uh, kind of had basis in the dark room, uh, really appreciate the project because they, um, they recognize uh, that difference. Other people, you know, who started in the dark room are like, you are crazy. <laughs> I'm glad to be done with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of a mix. Um, and again, uh, you know, different people like R.D. Nelson, who was a former professor here at OSU, you know, she, I, she was a great person to pick her brain when I'm uh, fine-tuning my uh, developing system uh, a while back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny you mention that because when I was a kid, uh, my mom shot uh, stuff and did a lot of work in the darkroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know the work that goes into it. I also, we also found out um, that the chemicals are corrosive enough to go through their bottles after a while and leak down over everything in the closet. And so, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff that you're not expecting. Uh, the physicality of photography that nobody thinks of now because it, it's instantly done. It's instantly there. You transfer it. You make it look even better and you send it out to the world. Um, my last question is when you talk about this with people who are young and are accustomed to a lot of photography through things like their cell phones and things like that, do they give you a different reaction than people who uh, I assume are older and are maybe thought thinking about like I did, I started off and you had 24 or 36 frames per roll and you wanted to make really sure that you got a good image. Uh, Do they just not understand or did they find it um, interesting if you try to explain the, the handcrafted nature of it? Um, again, you know, it varies. I think okay. there is, you know, uh, I have spoken with uh, quite a few people about it and they, uh, a lot of them are kind of fascinated by it. You know, like they've only known um, a photograph as sort of a digital image, a digital entity. Um, and, you know, the idea that you can, you know, make an image with uh, light-sensitive uh, chemi- uh, chemicals um, and paper uh, is really fascinating to them. You'll have a reception on February 19th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Columbus Cultural Arts Center uh, and be able to, you'll be on site to introduce the photographs, to, to walk people through some of the processes that you did. Will you have the camera obscura there as well? Yeah, the camera obscura will be set up as well. Okay. Um, and people will have a chance to interact with it. Thank you for coming today to talk to me about all the, your work that you're doing, Stephen Takis. And again, the website is brownie in 
www.ghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandgh